the last day of school. I think some of you guys are going to be a little bored. You think no? (laughs) I think some of you are going to be a little bored. Out of the six married couples, no, you probably won't be, but uh, the three married couples. But the rest of you, I think maybe you're going to wake up and you're going to be like, where are my friends at? What's going on? Why are we not here? Why are we not all hanging? I might like see like Liz, like hanging out by the door on a Monday, just, you know, like reading a book or something. Oh, man. You know, it's been a wonderful year. It's been an awesome year uh, with just, I mean, let me just go over some of the highlights. Let me do that. I didn't put this in my notes, but, you know, let, I was going to do this during our, uh, our time after the sermon. Let me do it now for everybody to hear. Uh, some of the highlights that I had from this year was the first thing was just the excitement and the passion for everybody to start the school year off. And you guys really never lost that passion. I know that there was things that came and and testings came along and different, you know, challenges. But really, you guys remained passionate the entire year. And we didn't lose one student from Metro Praise. Can you guys just say amen for that? Let's just bless the Lord. So we just kick the devil's butt in that attrition rate that says, uh, I don't know what it is, three out of ten dropout, you know, in the first semester, and then only, you know, two out of ten will eventually graduate on time. So uh, we just kicked the devil's butt. You guys stuck through. You worked hard. I never really saw you guys lacking passion. Every one of you had a sincere, de- who had a sincere desire at the beginning. I see you now still with that same sincere desire plus more momentum. And there has been, some of you have come along in the middle of the year, and um, Jonathan, Lauren, and uh, who else came in uh, towards, was that you guys, the only ones? Awesome. And you guys just came right on. You jumped on board. This is your guys' first semester, right? You guys have been doing great. Uh, Josh, you've been with us from the beginning, right? And Josh uh, was this, you know, basically when Josh joined SUM, he hadn't even been part of the church for about, what, six months maybe at the most at that time? Because I remember baptizing you at the summer retreat. So you were baptized at the summer retreat in an SUM student by August. Isn't that awesome? Let's give the Lord a hand clap for that. Come on. So that was a highlight, just watching all of you guys. And you know what? Um, dude, I was thinking about Adam. This is like a, like a little detail moment right now. You know, I, I've been so used to having Adam in my life. But you know what? Adam comes from another church, and we had met at Belmont Youth Group. Um, when you were a junior then, a junior in high school. And I was thinking, because, you know, sometimes, you know, we as leaders, we're, we're, you know, we're used to people following what God has given us to do. But I was really looking back thinking, man, this has, this has been like that little pup. You know what I'm saying? If you ever see those little commercials, not commercials, the little cartoon where it's like the big bulldog, he's walking around. It's like, where are we going, boss? What are we going to do, boss? You know, he's like yipping. And like the, little, the big bulldog's like in a little bit. We'll be, and I've kind of felt like, like I was that harsh big bulldog, and then here was this cute little yipping pup, like, bip, 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 bip. And, but he's stuck around, he's become an awesome leader, and he's joined our family, and, and I was just at his family's house for, uh, for dinner a, little, a couple days ago, what, last week, and it's just been an honor having you around, brother, it's been fun. And I just think, like, man, I don't want to take that for granted, you know what I'm saying, I don't want to take that for granted. And then, I mean, this is like the most craziest thing that I've ever seen in my life. 
that six of you are all getting married this summer. I mean, that is not even close to normal. I mean, this is like, like we take radical to a whole other definition on this. Like, not only are we like radical in street evangelizing and preaching, we are like radical in getting married now. Like, we have set a standard. I don't think there's any cohort, any school, any, any campus in America, maybe in a foreign land like India can compete with us. I don't know. But there are like arranged marriages. But there is no... Way, I mean, three of you guys, six of you, three couples have all come to this place of love and and marriage, all within the borders of this this little compound here. You know what I'm saying? By the way, where 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 are some of the couples? Where's Chris? Where's Leilani? Oh, they got sick. Who else are we missing besides Chris and Leilani? That's it. Okay. Can we have um, the the Wizard of Oz come and join us, please? Away from the curtain, you come. Working all your tricks back there. Thank you for your hard work. So, I mean, this will mess with your head. It kind of messes with mine, you know, as a leader. Think about this. If I never would have been a pastor, if I never would have come to Chicago, would these people have ever met? Isn't that something? I mean, that kind of messes with me. I'm like, man, this is real. This is the real deal. My my life as a leader, I don't make it all about me. You know, like like at the wedding ceremony, it's all about you. Joe, you made it happen. You guys don't remember that song, but it's a, it's a song. It's all about you, Jesus. But um, I, I don't want to make it all about me, Bertsky. But think of this. If I never would have become a pastor, if I never would have went to Chicago, would Berto and Griselto have met? Would, do you think, yes, yeah, some people believe in true love. So just somehow, somehow the one person who believes in true love, they would have got saved. And then somehow they would have been on some train together, and then they would have met. And then that would have happened with Chris and Vanessa. Well, they already knew each other, so that might have happened. So what? So I really have nothing to do with anything. It's, what did I do? I did nothing. That's it. But, you know, I'm just saying, though, I mean, what about Chris? What about Ellie and Leilani? I mean, what's the chances of that? Oh, now we're going to give that. No, Leilani never would have been saved. That one never would have. Griselda, possibly that one could have happened. But Leilani's could have never happened. No, come on, think about it. I, I mean, I'm just being honest. I'm not trying to make it all about Nancy and I, but I'm really just, just asking you guys to think about it. Think about how much responsibility we have as leaders. That if we wouldn't have been responsible to win Leilani to the Lord, then she would never have met Ellie. I mean, I don't know how that works because obviously it happened, then it, meant, it was like meant to happen. But if it didn't happen, then it wasn't meant to happen. I kind of look at it in God's way like that. So like there's no way now of ever going back because it had to have happened this way, you know. But it just puts that responsibility on me like, man, we're not playing games here, Dobby. This is the real deal. You know, this is the real deal. This is Bible college. So that's been, that's just. I was going to say bridal college, but I didn't want to say the joke. You know, you guys have heard. Look at, look at Adolfo. And then Adolfo. 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 Look, clap, clap, clap. Adolfo has a little a little thing going on. You know, we're not going to talk about that yet because, you know, we're on, we're on record right now on the mic. You know, we're just going to let that thing happen. But, yeah, we're just hoping. Oh, that's good. I never heard that. We're going to hope for the best. That is awesome. I apologize to uh, New Orleans listening to us right now. This is shop talk here, just talking about it, about our church. 
But, you know, I look at it like, man, if, if that, you know, if we wouldn't have been a ministry doing what we were doing, would that have happened? You know, would these people have met? So the responsibility that, I, that God has given us is an honor, and we're privileged to do that. And now, I mean, the, the ministry is going to grow out of that. Your pers- everybody who's getting married, your personal ministry will grow because you will grow as a person. And you guys will grow as a team. And so singles, you don't have to rush into marriage. I will always be the bachelor to the rapture example. I mean, I waited. God, God had me till I was 28 years old. And, and here's the thing about my age in, in, in that testimony is you have to understand I was faithful not to compromise my testimony for 10 years. So for those of you who might say, man, well, I'm, I'm about that old right now. Why am I not getting married? You've got to understand God, a lot of times, is looking at the heart and the purity of the heart. And there's, you know, you're single for a reason and you're single for a season. Sometimes God just has you single for a season. Excuse me, other times there's a reason for that season. So don't be discouraged. Another one of the highlights um, for me comes, you know, from the first fast that we did, that first 21-day fast, seeking God, calling the church to an all-night prayer meeting, and just going after the Lord. I was encouraged by that. That just was awesome. Uh, Mardi Gras, I thought Mardi Gras was awesome. How many had a good time at Mardi Gras? Wasn't that just great? Going out there, it was it was like, I'm not the only radical in the world anymore, you know? It's like you just, like, for those of you who might have thought that, you realize there's other crazy people for Jesus. And it was so fun watching that happen. And, uh, you know, for my for me, you know, I was looking um, at the pictures today of, of SUM Oakland, and I was thinking about how Lily and Deanna are going to stay there this summer. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about how um, Belle moved with Marcus out to uh, California. You know what I'm saying? Let's get a heavenly perspective about these things. Let's think about we, because we were here, there are radicals serving Jesus Christ. Whether they ever come back to Metro Praise is not our job. We, we cannot make people be a part of Metro Praise. I can't make you be a part of Metro Praise the rest of your life, as much as that may hurt, disappoint us at times. But just, just think about this. Because of what Metro Praise has done, there are now people serving God radically around the world. Radically around the world, and specifically right now in California, with three of the people who have come from this ministry. They never would have known about SUM unless they would have been to this ministry. It's like they would never have known it even existed. Would, would Deanna have ever known about an SUM? No. Would, Lili, would that have ever entered into Lily's mind? Was SUM one of the top schools that Lane Tech was pushing their students to? Come on. I mean, no one even knew about these places. So I was just thinking about, you know, about the fruit, Mardi Gras, how we're not alone. And then some of the other testimonies have just been individually watching you guys grow and really finding your niche, finding, finding like what you do best and putting it to work, seeing that Cynthia is going to be a great administrator and do wonderful things for God, not limiting that as her gift because we're all multi-gifted, but being an administrator. Jared being like an author, a teacher, you know, really just wanting to go after God. The musicians, the, the, the gifts of ministry, the, the, uh, like, like Vanessa. I remember when Vanessa first came and wanted to play a song. Was it for your birthday, Griselda? And it, what was it? It was you leaving Elevate. 
And that had to be probably on my top three most awkward moments in the service of my life that I've ever been a part of. That probably was like right around two or three, real close to number one. That was real close to probably one of the most awkward moments I've ever saw in a service. Those of you who weren't there, Vanessa says she's going to sing a song, a goodbye song for Griselda. Um, Vanessa probably knew at that time one chord on the guitar. She forgot it. And then she forgot the words of the song, and she didn't even know how to Do you remember this, Ellie? She didn't even really know how to sing the song. She didn't know how to play the song. And she was nervous, and, and the voice wasn't really that well. And, and it, and, but, but on top of that, instead of just, you know, t- tipping your hat, saying, well, I tried my best, folks, she keeps plowing through it, just keeps trying to make it happen, trying to make it happen for about five minutes. And so, I mean, you're talking like the whole, the whole herd of awkward turtles have come and gone. Like there, there's just there's just nothing more left. The little the little moose he walked by, and and there's Vanessa, still still doing it. And in my heart, I, I got to be honest, I can share it now. In my heart, I said, I will never let her lead worship, do anything with music ever again in this church. That 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 was that was her first and last hurrah. As a worship leader, that that was her best shot. There she went for it. Now, now she's done. But what did she do? She starts plugging away. She keeps plugging away. She talked in some of the musicians to help in her. I don't know, behind the scenes, there started to be some practice going on. And then look at you now. The, the Psalter, the prophetic Psalter. Let's give it up for Vanessa, the prophetic Psalter. Amen. <laughs> there it is, all to God. So that's been fun, you know, watching people develop, you know, into the different ministry gifts and seeing your strengths being accented while you're here. And uh, I've been really impressed. I've, I've, I've been really impressed with uh, Adolfo and Griselda as the RAs. Let's give it up for our RAs. They've done a great job. Uh, Griselda would have been handing the RA responsibility to uh, Vanessa. But then now Vanessa's getting married. So there's like, who is going to be the RA? This is the question now. The question is, who is going to be the RA? Have we already picked one? Okay, we're pointing to Liz. So let's, let's give it up for Liz. Amen. So that's basically what we're, what we're praying for with that is that the dorms keep going on. And um, I think that's about it. Well, I know, I know there's so much more. But we'll hang out Monday. We're going to go boating and uh, go to a, a picnic have a picnic at the park and uh, have boating out there. And those who don't want to get tossed around in the water, you don't have to do that. If you don't want to have fun boating. <laughs> oh, i got to talk about it now. Jared, Jared, you poor guy, shivering, shivering in the middle of the night. You know what? We, there, was, there was a couple things that probably should have clued us in that this wasn't for you. Uh, the first thing was, was when I asked you to come and we had the bear moment at the door. That first day, we should have probably just realized that probably boating wasn't for you. Then when we had to vote you to do it against your will, we should have probably realized boating wasn't for you. But you came. You, you, you're, you're a man. He came. But the problem is my fair-skinned Irish man came without any suntan lotion. <laughs> He was like a burnt leprechaun out there. He, 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 
he had to swaddle himself up in layers of clothes. And at that moment, I didn't know what was going on. I just saw, like, his T-shirt on him. You know what I'm saying? I'm seeing him. Like, it's like 80 degrees out there. I see, like, his T-shirt on him. I don't know what he is doing. Because you know me, man. I'm, a, I'm Italiano, man. Get me out in the sun, and I'll just, I'll just bake like bread, man. I love it. You know what I'm saying? I love it. Get a little brown. You know what I'm saying? And so this guy's turning red, man, just red, red, red. And so we're just, you know, we're calling it a day. Goodbye, everybody. We'll see you later. But then he calls me or texts me and says, you can't come to Bible class. What was going on? You were shivering in the middle of the night. You were achy. Dylan says you had to crawl, like, on your knees or hindquarters to the to the refrigerator. What happened to you, my brother? Let's just testify for a minute. Just tell us what happened so everybody can hear. Well, I have a testimony. Well, I, I had sunburns on my knees, which made it hard to walk, and uh, my feet were sore from skipping on the water, tubing, and uh, and I just woke up dehydrated, and uh, and I had to uh, I had to get up. I had to get something to drink, you know, because I thirst. So I go and I set my feet on the ground, and I just. Ah, you know, I'm just racked with pain from my knees and my feet. And uh and uh Birdo, he's half asleep and he hears me and uh and he's like, What's the problem, man? I'm like, I can't walk and he's you know, he's half asleep. He's like, Well if have you tried walking? <laughs> and uh <laughs> So I I, 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 yeah, I I braced myself and I try to walk like like five feet, but I just get super lightheaded from dehydration, and then I end up butt scooting to the fridge to get a pitcher of water. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Not on a rug. Not on a rug. It'd make things worse. <laughs> oh. Aren't you guys excited now to get out there on the boat? Amen. I'm peeling over here. I just wonder, man. I think I'm going to be as dark as Bertle by the end of the summer, man, because it is so hot out there. So much sun, boom, beating right on you. It's beautiful, though. I love. I love. How many love getting sun? Any Any people like getting sun? Awesome. All right. Well, now we're ready for the sermon. Are you guys ready? All right. Turn with me to First Timothy. Good stuff. Good memories. First Timothy. Today I'm just going to share with you um, lessons from Timothy. You can title that as your message. Lessons from Timothy. I was praying about what to share with you on uh, your last day of school. One thing that came into my heart, I've never preached a message like this, but God just didn't tell me to do it today, so I still have never preached like this. But I was actually going to preach on my top five favorite books and what I've learned from them and encourage you to read books this summer. So that was actually going to be an idea. I was going to talk to you about my, my five favorite books. If you want to write them down real quick, maybe it's still something that, that can bless you. God's Generals by Robert Slairdon. Roberts is his first name, R-O-B-E-R-T-S, and then space, Lairdon, L-I-A-R-D-O-N. Roberts Slairdon. The lesson that I learned from that was that uh, men of God make mistakes, but we can overcome our mistakes. 
Um, the second book is Why Revival Tarries, Leonard Ravenhill. And slash next to that would be Lectures on Revival by Charles Finney. They both are powerful books giving the same message, which is revival is a cooperative work between man and God. So we all want revival, and revival to us is souls being saved, the church being awakened, radical things happening in our services. And both Finney and Leonard Ravenhill in their great books um, describe that it's a, it's a cooperative effort between man and God. You don't just sit back and say, God, I'm asking you for revival and do nothing, and then you just don't go out and do everything, and then uh, God doesn't have a sovereign time to it because you could be doing everything and God just say, wait, 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 wait. So it's not like a formula. I do A, B, and C, and then revival comes. Um, C, or, or th- number three, would be God Chasers by Tommy Tinney. And the lesson that I simply learned from that was that uh, God is not hiding from me. He just enjoys the chase. And so many times in ministry or in Christianity, you feel like God in his presence is hiding from you. You're like, man, why, why were we close, really close a couple weeks ago, and now I'm not feeling your presence as much as I did before, my backslidden. Well, Tommy Tinney really brings together this idea that God is like a father who comes home with his daughter, and he lets the daughter chase him for the chase and the benefit of the catching, but not to outrun the daughter. So there's the chase, that there's that, there's that experience of a chase. And I, just, I know what he's talking about. When I play with my daughter, you just hold, 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 and then you kind of sit down, and then you chase a little bit, and then you hold, 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 and you chase. And like the, the chasing is fun, and the holding is fun. And so he really just brings us to light through Scripture that God is just looking for people to enjoy the chase, the journey of looking for, for him in every place they go, chasing after him. So that was the third book. The, the fourth book that really impacted my life was uh, Lester Summerall, Faith Can Change Your World. Uh, there's actually a, a chapter in my book, uh, Faith, um, Overcoming Faith. What's that ch- chapter in the, uh, the seven-step book? Does anybody know it off top? Um, oh, it's just faith? It, it's Overcoming the World is one, and then another one is, is faith. I can't even remember the chapters of my book. But the one that's on faith... And the, uh, the seven-step book that I wrote comes from Lester Summerall and his book, Faith Can Change Your World. I mean, Lester Summerall, to me, um, really bridged the gaps between all the great moves of God in the last hundred years. He had roots into the early Pentecost revival um, with all the people that he met. He knew uh, Smith Wigglesworth personally. He was alive during the healing revivals of the 50s with Oral Roberts. He saw the charismatic movement come in, which kind of liberated the Pentecostal church from legalism. This is when the Jesus people, the hippies, were getting saved. And then he saw the word of faith and prosperity movement come in, and he always represented the best out of all of those movements, out of everything that was good in those movements, the televangelism ministry of the 80s. He was, he was on TV. He was very popular. Out of all of those things, he always represented the best. And his stories of faith would just blow your mind from the time when he was a little kid and he gets healed from tuberculosis. God calls him to preach at 16, and he basically leaves home and just starts preaching in a barn. And then just his whole life takes off from there. And, um, and then lastly, uh, the book that's changed my life the most is First Timothy. First Timothy. Now, of course, I don't want to be super spiritual and just say the Bible, but I really mean that, you know, the Bible is the word of God and everything is God breathed and it speaks to you. But I really look at the book of First Timothy like this separate letter 
that just impacts me in a way that the other parts do not. It's not that I don't love the Bible. I mean, the Bible always speaks to me. But I just have, like, if you ask me a favorite book, it's the it's First Timothy. I always imagine myself as this young man receiving this letter. You know, th- this is all I have. Paul is journeying. Maybe I have uh, Luke's gospel because I'm friends with Luke. Probably don't have anything more than that other than the Old Testament. And here I've been dropped off in Ephesus. And then now Paul, he sends me this letter, and this is my book. This is my Bible. This is, this is how I've got to live Christianity right now. And that's probably all Paul. Uh, that's all Timothy had. At most, like I said, he had the, the gospel of Luke. He might have had one or two of, of Paul's other letters, Galatians, Romans, but there's no guarantee he would have had those. But uh, he had this and his experience with Paul and God. And, and, and as you read through First Timothy, he was able to preach and, and establish an entire church and lead it. So that's very important to me. And the other thing is that um, he was a young man. He was a young single man. And I started pastoring in, in a church, planting a church, as a 22-year-old young man. And I look at you guys now at that same age. And I just go, man, I must have looked young. To everybody, because I mean, Adam, how old are you? Twenty-one. I mean, I was just a few months older than what Adam is planting my first church, and and Timothy is that young man. Timothy is that young man. So today, I want to give you, I believe it's nine instructions. Uh, yes, nine instructions that Paul gives Timothy in this letter. So number one. Well, let's just start off with who Timothy was. I like verses 1 through 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God, our Savior, Christ Jesus, our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith. So Timothy was a spiritual son of the apostle Paul. Here you see that it's biblical to refer to people as spiritual fathers and spiritual sons, daughters, mothers, etc. In these relationships, spiritual brothers. We have families in the kingdom of God. And so I just thought that was amazing. Uh, Another little side note about Timothy is that Paul did not lead Timothy to the Lord. So he, he was not there at his conversion, but he adopted him into his ministry and even became a spiritual son out of that. And I can see that example like in my own life. Brother Anthony did not lead me to the Lord, but I became a spiritual son to him as God brought me under his ministry and got to serve him. Okay, so that's a little bit about Timothy, not going much into that uh, further. So number one, here's what he says. Fight false doctrines. First Timothy 3 through 4. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. The thing that you and I learn is that the need for Timothy to be in Ephesus was actually, first of all, to solve problems. To solve problems. So the instructions that I want to give you today that we learn from this is fight false doctrine. Could you imagine Timothy being left in an area where people are older than him, they come from religious Judaism. They, they have pagan backgrounds. And Paul is saying, I need you here to straighten out their mess. I need you here to correct them, to teach them. That is how the book starts. And how many know we are in that same place right now in America? We are young people going out into this culture preaching the true message of Jesus Christ, correcting all types of false doctrines. Don't you find yourself doing that whenever you go witnessing? 
You're like, no, no, Christianity is nothing like that. What are you talking about? No, you can't go to heaven that way. Who told you that? What? You believe this? You are doing exactly what Timothy was doing. You're young people going out in this city teaching them not to believe false doctrines or devote themselves to myth. How many know if a homosexual believes he can live in that lifestyle and go to heaven, that's a myth? How many know if they believe in buffet-style religion that Buddha, Jesus, and Muhammad are just like green beans, carrots, and mashed potatoes on the buffet of, of religion? How many know if they believe that, they're believing in myth? So you are going out teaching against false doctrines. That is something you can relate to in Timothy's life. Going on, Paul says the command, or the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So what's the opposite of false doctrine? Is faith, which comes from love. Or excuse me, what's the opposite of false doctrine? Love, that comes from a pure heart good conscience, and a sincere faith. So work on that. Do that. Be like Timothy. Have a love for God that comes from a clear heart, pure heart. Have your conscience clean and have a sincere faith. Number two, going on now to the latter part of the first chapter, fight the fight of faith. Verses 18 through 20 says, Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them you may fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have shipwrecked these, and so have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. What you see here is that you're in a fight. Do you know that Timothy had people that he knew backslide? Probably Hymenaeus and Alexander were even older than him. Were probably maybe even leaders to him at some point. You don't know. I guarantee they probably weren't younger than him because Timothy himself was a pretty young man. These are either his peers at the same age or most likely people older than him. And what is Paul telling him? Hey, Some of the people you know and maybe have looked up to have shipwrecked your faith. Don't you shipwreck your faith. Fight the good fight fight of faith. Have any of your friends backslide since you've been a part of the ministry? Have any of your friends or family said, oh, I don't want to go this way anymore? Have they shipwrecked their faith? Can you relate to this today? Yes, you can. Fight the good fight of faith. Oftentimes, when students backslide from any Bible college, it's during the summer. Don't let this summer shipwreck your faith. Don't come to us at the beginning of next year at this altar repenting of junk that you got in your heart from the summer. Fight the good fight of faith. I'm encouraged that I now know that the adversary or these uh, trials that I'm facing are not by accident. How many would know if you stepped into a, 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 a UFC rink and started getting hit in the face, it wouldn't be a surprise. You're in the middle of a fight. Why is it in Christianity we get surprised? I know I do, by trials and tests. Trials and tests are part of your Christianity. You will be brought to tears at times. You will be broken on the inside and rebuilt back up so many times. But you have to keep fighting. When Corey came here and he was sharing his excitement with me 
uh, about Metro Praise, and he was saying he wants to plant a church similar to this with a heart of discipleship. And he was asking me just for pointers and things that, that I've learned along the way. You know what I told him? I said, I have died a thousand deaths here. It's not that I've just crucified the flesh one time. Oh, that's over now. It feels like I've died a thousand deaths. It feels like the times when people backstabbed me, there was a death of my flesh. It feels like there were times when I felt that the crowd was giving, getting bigger, and then God sifts the crowd and shows us that they weren't even really true disciples. Or when financially it looks like we're right at a breakthrough, something goes wrong and we go more in debt. You know, It's, it's like you die a thousand deaths. You've got to get up and keep fighting. You, uh, you will feel like your flesh is on the Barbie. It's not a shrimp on the Barbie. It is a minister on the Barbie. You will feel, if you hear that sound, that is your flesh dying. You will die a thousand deaths in the ministry, but keep fighting the good fight. Amen? Number three, second, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. Live a life of prayer. I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. God called Timothy to pray for his culture. Paul is telling him, man, pray for your nation. Pray for your leaders. Pray for the nations around you. Isn't that something we've learned personally in this church, to pray for nations represented by our flags, praying for the nations? My friends, you need to always have a life of prayer. If you don't pray, you are not going to see God's hand move. As a Chinese Christian came to America and said, I'm impressed that they've done all of this without prayer. Listen to me. You can you can build a building without prayer. You can get a crowd without prayer. But you will not fulfill God's plan upon your life without prayer. That's one thing the American church has, has forgotten about. We, we boast about all these things and we, we talk about all these things that we have to judge our ministry by. But God does not judge our ministry by the crowd. God does not judge our ministry by how much money is in the bank. God judges our ministry on our relationship to him. He said I first, in, in, in the Gospels, he first called the disciples to be with him that he might send them out to preach. Praying is staying connected to him. And you can't do anything worth value in the kingdom without prayer. I mean, there's Catholic buildings all over this city. How many would like to have a big building like the Catholics do? Yes, I would. But how many know their buildings aren't transforming the city? How many would like to have a stadium like the Bears have? I would. But how many know the Bears aren't transforming the stadium? Just because they can sell tickets and just because they can get people to come to their concerts or to their sporting events doesn't mean they've changed lives. Changing lives, doing the work of the ministry will always and only come through prayer. Keep a prayer life, especially in this summer. Make times of prayer. Amen? Number four, 1 Timothy chapter 3. The entire chapter dealing with building leadership. Number four, you've got to know how to make leaders. If you are a true disciple, you are a leader, and the, the fruit that will come from your life to show the, uh, the others around you that you are a leader is that you will make leaders. Leadership produces leadership. Disciples make disciples. Paul tells 
Timothy through this entire chapter. Here's a trustworthy saying. Here's how you make an elder. Here's in verse 8 how you appoint a deacon. Summing it up in verse 14 and 15. Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God the pillar and foundation of the truth. You and I need to take leadership seriously. You need to live up to the requirements of an elder and a deacon. All of those requirements are upon you, every single one of them. You then, as a qualified leader, need to learn how to recognize leadership in other people's lives and then teach them how to have the character of a leader and then how to have the conduct of a leader. There's the character and then there is the conduct. As Paul said in Corinthians, doing everything in decency and in order. It's not always easy putting a church in order. It's not always easy asking leaders to have a code to live by. But it's what leaders have to do. If we don't have a code that we live by, then we are going to always go the easiest route. For example, when you look at water, if water does not have boundaries that will control it, Water will flood the entire plains of America. It will flood all of New Orleans. Water needs boundaries. Otherwise, it causes destruction. The human nature is like water. I have learned this after pastoring. If you do not put up boundaries in people's lives, people will always go the path of least resistance. If you don't start your service on time, People will continually come late. I've been in services when people have said, hey, let's wait for so-and-so. They're running late. The moment you say, I'm waiting for so-and-so, you'll never have people on time again from that point forward. If you don't have a set time of prayer that you require your leaders to come and pray at, you'll just have one or two token radical people show up for your prayer meetings. You must require it and say prayer is a requirement in this church. Yes, it makes it sometimes a burden to people, but I would rather have them know that ministry comes with a cost than for them to think they can just show up and give whatever they want and be a leader. You can show up and give whatever you want and be an attendee, but not be a leader. The moment you want to make leaders, my friends, you need to make requirements. When Paul told Timothy to make leaders, what did he do? He gave him requirements. When they first appointed the deacons, they had requirements that they would be men of good reputation, full of the Holy Ghost. When Jesus gave the instruction about receiving the Holy Spirit, what did you have to do? Wait in Jerusalem. You had to stay and wait and pray. If you weren't willing to do that, you were not going to be one of the 120 to get the Holy Spirit poured out on you. So you have to be a leader that makes leaders. Sometimes it won't be easy when you ask people to live up to requirements. They'll fail, and they won't keep those requirements. But what do you do? You forgive them, you teach them, you discipline them, you correct them, you love them, and move on. But you never change the standard. What good would it be for you to make every attendee of your service 
a leader if they don't act like leaders? What's the point? So let's say we have a church of 100, and I say, hey, everybody here's the leader now. Everybody's qualified. Let's all start helping out. You might say, well, Pastor, you're going to have more volunteers. You're going to have more people. You know what you'll start to have? Is you'll start to have more people breaking their word. You'll have a lot of things that were planned to happen stop happening. And what will begin to happen is the, those that are trying to get things done will become frustrated and say, no one's helping me. I was planning this event. My friends, there is no shortcut to success in ministry. It's built on leaders. Paul was telling Timothy, here's how you make leaders. Does anybody here want to be a good leader? Does anybody here want to make good leaders? Amen. Follow those instructions. Number five, going to chapter four, verses six and seven. Paul gives the instruction, stay focused on the truth. Everybody say, stay focused. Thank you. If you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Well, what problems were they having that needed to be straightened out? Well, if you look at verses 1 through 4, it talks about in latter times, people will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. If there was ever a time that we need to see ourselves as a Timothy, it is today. How many know there are some damnable doctrines being taught right now? There is everything and anything under the sun, just in the church, let alone going to other religions. There's people in the church that believe in a reptilian race. Seriously. There are people that believe that demons procreated with mankind, and there's these half-man, half-demon race of people known as the reptilians that live on this planet. I have listened to the Bible-believing Christians. There's other people on the far other extreme that today are teaching you that all that matters in the gospel is community, being a good Samaritan. Helping other people. That one sounds a lot better, doesn't it, than the reptilian race. But the problem with that is the gospel has no cross. It basically just tells everybody, come one, come all. Anybody have a need? Well, then you are a candidate for Christianity. You can be a Christian. If you have a need, just come up here and ask Daddy Jesus to meet that need. And this, this form of the gospel is actually counter to what the real gospel is. I've, I've met these people in Chicago when I've been preaching. They're, they're young adults. I, I kind of see it like this. Let me just help you right here. There's, there's two versions right now of radical Christianity. One is a reformation and one is a defamation. Here you have mainstream Christianity, which is kind of like on TBN. You know, it's K-Love music, contemporary, just, you know, evangelical and, and it has a lot of good to it, okay? There's nothing wrong with this. It. just kind of just mainstream Christianity. Read your Bible, pray, go to church, okay? But now you've got two subcultures, and they're both catching the young adults between 18 and 30. The one, which is the Reformation, <clears throat> which is bringing us back, is like the Jesus culture, 
the Misty Edwards, the IHOP, these, these churches like ourselves, SUM, who are just like radical. Let's pray. Let's go evangelizing. Let's go on mission trips. Let's, let's see demons cast out. Let's have five-hour worship services. Let's make disciples. Let's get educations and, and Bible education. Okay, there's this whole radical thing. You see young adults, whether it's at SUM, whether it's at, you know, like I said, these Jesus culture things, the IHOP conferences, you just see these radical young adults. And you've met them. How many have met some radical young adults? They just love God. But then there's this other one, and, and, and they're called the emergent church. Now, not everybody who uses the name emergent is necessarily negative because some good people have adopted this. But this emergent church basically is a non-spirit-filled church, does not believe in the gifts of the spirit. It's a church that, that compromises doctrinal truths. They say things like the virgin birth of Jesus is not that important. Uh, a literal hell is not that important. What's most important is that Jesus said, love God and love your neighbor. And it wraps itself in this community-orientated uh, service towards the world. And people are buying into it right now, hook, line, and sinker. There are tons of people because it doesn't really come with a moral standard. As long as you're dedicated to the cause, you can be a leader. You know, as long as you want to come and help out, you believe in God, you can be a leader. They don't stress discipline. Hey, you fornicate. It's okay. We're all sinners. And it's pushing throughout the college campuses. There's authors and books that are being written, and tons of young adults are gearing towards this type of Christianity. But you see, my friends, you need to be focused on the truth. Don't get diverted from that. Don't get diverted from the truth to follow those lies, things taught by demons. If you were the devil, what would be the first thing you would want to tell everybody? There's not a hell. There's not a punishment for anyone. Of course you want to convince them of that. Because if you can convince people that there is no punishment, then really anything you do can just be forgiven, swept under the rug, and everything's going to work out just fine. And that is the the heart behind this emergent church is that there's really just no hell Every, it's universalism. Everybody will get saved. And, and you know what, my friends, is this is even creeping into this other version. I've, I, I was uh, on my friend's website, and I saw this guy. He makes Christian music. I was talking to him, and I started reading his blogs. He's, he loves Misty Edwards. He was talking about music. He makes his good music, prayer music. And I began reading his blogs, and he believed in universalism. That means that ultimately everybody gets saved. I'm telling you, it's sweeping across the nation. Be careful not to do that. That, that was for, that this is for us. For Paul's day, it was the Judaizers. It was the people trying to bring them back to the law to tell them not to eat certain foods, to, to be under Judaism. But he was telling Timothy, stay focused on the truth. You know the truth. And I love listening to Dr. Brown yesterday. He was making me laugh so hard. You know how? How sometimes you guys get giddy, like somebody was telling me about the debate with Sam, I think it was Josh Mendez. He loved how we debated the idea of Martin. It kind of makes him giddy. It makes me giddy too, okay? But I'm listening to Dr. Brown, and I am just like laugh, not laughing at people, but he is just, you know, debating with them. And it just makes me giddy to how simple the truth is, but how silly people's minds are. They're so silly sometimes. It makes me laugh. And so one of the things he said was this, and I just I want to share it with you to stay focused on the truth. If anybody comes to you to reveal to you some secret, some quick fix in Christianity, some hidden truth 
that's going to change your whole life if you believe. Don't believe it. There, there is nothing more in Christianity. There's, there, there's nothing hidden up God's sleeve. There's, there's no hidden message in the Hebrew. There's, no, there's, just, there's nothing else. That's not a bad thing because everything we have, we have not discovered enough of. We haven't got enough of the Holy Spirit in the gifts. We haven't got enough of a love for the poor. We haven't got enough boldness in our preaching yet. Okay? But those are things we know. The things that people try to say you don't know and try to slip into the church and write these books and, and, and make all these. Just be careful with that. Amen? The, next, the sixth thing that Paul tells Timothy is be radical in the days of your youth. Number six is in Timothy 4, 11 and 12. Command and teach these things. Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in your speech, in life, in love, in faith, <clears throat> excuse me, and in purity. Somebody say be radical. Look at your neighbor and ask him, are you radical? Tell your neighbor one thing that makes you radical. Look at him right now. Come on, tell your neighbor one thing. We always say we're radical. Tell him one thing that makes you radical. Come on, tell somebody. Tell them what makes you radical, Lauren. Okay, so then anybody who loves Jesus is radical. You preach in high schools. There you go. There you go. You go to random nations. Excuse me. Come on, who else? High schools, random nation. What else makes you radical? You do what, Adolfo? You witness the game banner. That's radical. Come on, what do you do, Jonathan? Witness to anybody you come across. You see, we're not boasting. We're just defining what makes us radical. Here's the basis of your radicalness, if that's even a word. Here's the basis of your awesomeness. How you talk, how you live, how you love, how you believe, and how you act. Speech, life, love, faith, purity. That needs to be the basis of your radical life. If you are radical... In your speech, you're going to witness everywhere you go, and you won't be afraid to talk to anybody. If you're radical in your life, you'll lay your life on the line, live anywhere, go anywhere, do anything for Jesus Christ because you've already counted your life as a loss. If you're radical in your love, you will love the unlovable. You will love lepers. You will love the homosexual. You will love the transgender. You will love your enemies. You will love every person that you come across. If you're radical in your faith, you will believe God for anything. You'll believe God for 100,000 souls to be saved. You'll believe God for nations to come to Jesus Christ. You'll believe God for a million dollars to come in your hands this summer. You will believe God for the most radical things in your life because you have faith that he can move mountains and do anything that you ask according to his will. If you're radical in your purity, you don't compromise. You don't live like the world. You have rid yourself of the deeds of the flesh, of bitterness, of drunkenness, of dissensions, of sexual impurity. You have rid yourselves of greed, selfish ambition, uh, 
uh, dissension, factions. You have rid yourselves of these things, and your life is like this light bulb. It is clear so that God's light can shine through you. If a light bulb is dirty, that light will not shine. But if it's pure and that glass is pure, the light will shine brighter. Be radical in your speech. Be radical in your life. Be radical in your love. Be radical in your faith. Be radical in your purity. And until Jesus comes, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and teaching. Do not neglect your gift, S-U-M. Listen, do not neglect your gift, which was given to you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Every single one of you has received prophetic messages. Every single one of you who's in leadership here have had hands laid upon you and, and bestowed the blessing of this church, this ministry, SUM, the Bible college. You've been baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. Verse 15, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. What a responsibility that God has given you and I as leaders. Be radical in your youth, because you will save yourself and others. Think of that, my friends. I want David is to stand up here right now, and I want him to, to look at you guys. Come and face this congregation right here. I'm going to use you as an illustration. Come on the stage. Face this. Look at this congregation. I was once your age, sitting in a chair like that. One day, you're going to be my age, looking across your fruit like that. Be radical in the days of your youth, and God will give you this times a million. Give him a hand clap. Come on. You have to start now. You have to start now and say, I will be radical. I will. I'll be diligent now to get my homework assignment in, to get in my papers. I'll be diligent now in my marriage to take care of my wife, to provide for my family, to be a loving spouse, a loving husband and wife. I will be diligent now to save my money, to be shrewd with my finances so I can do more for the Lord. I'll be diligent now to be the best mother, father I could be. I'll be diligent now to be the best youth leader, after school program leader, inner city leader. Now, it starts now. When I was in college, Adam, I met Jeffrey. Jeffrey's life was changed. Imagine that, my friend. You seen 10 years after your ministry in Ohio Park, people be evangelists with calls of God on their life saying, because you came to Ohio Park. So be diligent now. Work hard now. Don't say, I'm going to do it later. The biggest temptation you will have is to be mediocre. Uh, to be mediocre. Because you in this ministry are already running, let's say, uh, let's say we're in a bike race. And the average person is riding their bike 20 miles an hour. Well, what we consider average is 35 miles an hour. So we're beating all the people. We're like the Michael Jordans of, of the thing. We're like, you know, the Tour de France winner, uh, Neil Armstrong. And I'm not trying to boast in Christ. I'm just telling you what people call on fire and radical is what we call normal, Right? So we're pedaling at 35 miles an hour, and you're passing people going 20, and you're saying, man, I'm radical. But I want to tell you something. Jesus is riding at 100 miles an hour. Jesus is so much further 
ahead of us. There's so much more. So you can say, well, well, you know, I'm already going a little bit faster. I mean, I'm doing more than the Lutherans, more than, you know, Inner Varsity, Campus Crusade for Christ. I'm doing a little bit more than YWAM. So I'm just, I'm just going to slow down a little bit. There is no time to slow down. I remember being in Bible college, and, and God gave me this revelation. I just want to encourage you with this because I know each and every one of you have made the same sacrifice. I remember... You know, watching the real world or something, uh, what had happened was Angie had, had uh, well, this was after Bible college. Angie, one of our young people in Master's Commission, she had a friend that lived by the beach, uh, Gulf Shores, Alabama. They had a condo out there. We went and spent the weekend there. I'm probably 22, 23 years old. And we're spending the weekend just having fun by the beach. And, uh, you know, I was just, there was a, be- a TV in my bedroom. I was waking up. I put on the real world. I was watching a little bit. And I was thinking to myself, I am the same age as these guys, the same age, 22, 23 years old. And I'm visiting the beach, and they're living their life on the beach. But I've given my whole heart to the ministry. Think about that. You'll never have a spring break where you act crazy and wild. You're not going to go out and have sex and then meet another boy, another girl. You're not going to get drunk and waste your life and be at the age of 30 and say, now I'm going to start a family. You guys have decided to follow Jesus and give up all of those things. That meant something to me back then. You know why? Because I made a choice to follow Jesus because he's worth it. This is your college years. Your college years aren't stories of, oh, we went to Cancun. We went. No, your college years is we won people to the Lord. We changed lives. My friends, never forget that. Work hard now. Because I love the way T.D. Jakes said it to Deion Sanders. I was in a service. He said, Deion, I'm your pastor. Because when you were out playing football, I was in my room praying and studying the Word of God. Because when Deion Sanders got off the field and said, hey, I need somebody that knows about God, he went to T.D. Jakes, who had been studying his Word that whole time. When your friends, when this generation wakes up from its little spring break party of life, when they wake up and realize it all wasn't about concerts and Lady Gaga, when they wake up and start asking themselves the tough questions of life, you're already going to have written a book about it. You're already going to have started a ministry and say, hey, come right here. Why? Because you worked hard. You were diligent. You were diligent. By the time your peers realize it's time to get married, you will be married. You'll do marriage counseling with them. Are you listening to me? By the time your peers wake up and realize, oh, it's time for me to settle down. It's time for me to invest in my future. You're going to be counseling them, teaching them how you did it the last ten years of your life. Be diligent now. It matters, my friends. The only reason why I'm a pastor now of a congregation like this at 33 is because I was diligent when I was your age. You have to work hard. What you see me doing here is not the normal. This is the extraordinary. This is not the the ordinary. You will have to work your tail off, my friends, just to get to where we are now. And if you want to pass me up, you're going to have to work even harder. 
That's why we're starting off with our high school students, our young adults, saying start now. Start now. Don't wait till you're 18. Don't wait till you're a freshman at SU. Start now when you're 13. Start when you're 14. Because that's how, that, that's what you got to do. You got to run for God. If you waste time, you're going to be like me, 18 years old, dealing with all this junk in my life. I had to deal with it for years before God could see me fit. Amen. Praise the Lord. Chapter 5 then deals with widows and help the poor. And he brings it down to the, 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 the statement at verse 21 of chapter 5. Do not show favoritism. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and do nothing out of favoritism. Do not do anything with partiality or out of favoritism. Number seven is do not show favoritism or compromise. Paul was telling Timothy, this is how we feed the poor. This is how we help the widows. Don't change the standard. Do not show favoritism. When you begin ministry, you're going to have the opportunity to become close with people in the ministry, as I have done. And you guys know that some of my friends who I started off with, one in particular had to step down from being an elder. We do not show favoritism in this church. I thank God that he is staying with the church. They are setting a godly example of restoration. But, my friends, I, I'm not going to show favoritism. I'm not going to say, well, you know, you're different. You know, you messed up a little bit here. We have some standards. But you've been such a good helper of the church. You're, you're so helpful. You're, you're very nice. I'm just going to give you a break on this one. No. Do not show favoritism. When the church begins to favor those that are in sin and compromise, the church loses its power and authority. I remember going to an award ceremony for the things that we've done at Ohio Park. We've received awards from the mayor, community groups. Uh, even Kathy has been interviewed by the news and put on television for what God has used her and us to do in that community. And uh, I remember talking to this man and asking, he was putting on a community event. He had asked us to come. He had awarded us for our, our work there. And I remember talking to him, asking him, you know, what more can we do for the community? What are some creative ways that we can get involved and, you know, get to use facilities that aren't being used? For example, these high schools and middle schools are in these communities, and they're huge, and nobody uses them during the weekend and weeknights. I was like, hey, can we get in there and just start having services? And uh, we ended up going and, and following up on one of those leads. They wanted to charge us $1,000 a time to go there. Can you believe that? And the inner city and, and the people there wonder why their community is going to hell in a handbasket. Greed, greed, greed. You don't think people in the inner city, I'm telling you, I've seen more greed in the projects than I have in uptown Chicago, downtown, and those buildings. I'm telling you, greed is the root to all sorts of evil. Anyways, so... He says to me, well, here's how you can have more influence, have more, you know, favor with these people. He says, hold an event just like I did, a community event, and give out awards to your aldermen and have your church members come and bless them with a meal and tell them thank you for all that they did. I said, the only thing I'm going to ask my aldermen to do is repent in Jesus' name. I am not sitting down with Pharaoh. Herod or Caesar having some little dinner with him 
thanking him for removing the garbage from my front of the building of my church. Now, if we want to sit down and talk, we can sit down and talk. But I'm not asking him for things and bribing him with the votes of my congregation. Are you listening to me? Do not show favoritism. I remember the first time I made that mistake. We were working in the projects. The the event leader kind of made a deal with me. She said, well, if I let you use the community center, can I have one of my friends use your ministry truck? It was SUM's ministry truck. I said, sure, you know, uh, what do you want it for? She said, well, there's a politician. He's trying to help out the city, uh, the community. He loves the people. He just wants a time to share his message. You know, he can do it after your crusade or whatever. Just, you know, let him use your truck to do his thing after. I said, sure, having no idea what level he would stoop down to. I just, I had no clue. I was so naive back then. So we do our ministry, we do our crusade, up comes this politician in some three-piece suit out there in the projects. All the crowd starts to come because they know what's going on. I'm the only dummy that doesn't. He starts giving out alcohol. He starts giving out all types of things to these people to bribe their vote. I saw it with my own eyes. I saw it with Do not show favoritism. If you have the mayor come to your church, ask him to repent of his sins and be born again. Do not change the message. Do not lay in bed with Jezebel. If you are King Ahab, repent and kick Jezebel out of your house in Jesus' name. Those who go against God, those who refuse to listen to God, do not show favoritism because they are the best youth leader in your group, because they play the piano better than anybody else, because they sing so good. What are the youth going to do if they stop coming? Listen to me, my friend. Better God before you and the crowd against you than to have the crowd with you and God against you. Never compromise. And he gives them some advice, which may not be as applicable to us, but uh, it is good for us. The first one is applicable. Do not be hasty in laying hands. Uh, on laying on of hands, do not share in the sins of others, keep yourself pure, stop drinking water only, and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illness. Uh, NyQuil is acceptable. Other than that, do not drink any other wine. Uh, 24, the sins of some men are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and those that are, are not cannot be hidden. So why do I think uh, he says, verse 24, after the favoritism, Uh, talk is because oh by the way he says don't show favoritism after verse 17 which he says rebuke elders who are who sin verse 20 those who sin are to be rebuked publicly so that others may take warning i'm sorry for not giving you the context of why we're not showing favoritism now does that make sense maybe you understood it before but now you see he's saying rebuke people publicly publicly When they are leaders and they sin, rebuke them publicly. Do not show favoritism. Back to my example, there was a dear friend of mine in this ministry. I've known him for years. They fell into sin. They were rebuked publicly. Now they're being restored. Leaders in the community sin and compromise. A man asked me to bring them in and to ask them to favor our ministry so that we could get free garbage pickup. And I said, no, the only thing I'll do with them is rebuke them publicly i will not if any man any person ever asked me to do anything political in this church 
If they do not stand for what we stand for, they have no permission to be here. And if I see them in the service, I will purposely start preaching to them in Jesus' name. Amen? So we're not doing what these other churches do, which is we just want to recognize that uh, Alderman or, or Senator Gary is in our, you know, I just can't wait to we're a church where somebody stumbles in, like maybe we're 10,000, and somebody just stumbles in not knowing who we are. They stumble in. Senator so-and-so is here. We just want to recognize. I'm telling you, I'm going to say, I rebuke you for your stance in abortion in Jesus' name. Change. Change. I'll say that from the Paul. How many want a pastor like that? I rebuke you for your abortion in Jesus' name. Change your vote. God bless you. We love you. We'll move on with the sermon. And then just, I'll just keep preaching right now. Because I'm so serious. That's what John the Baptist did. He pointed towards that adulterer, Herod, and he said, repent. My friends, don't show favoritism. We have these chaplaincies that are cool. You know, how many would like to be the chaplain for the Cubs? How many would like to be the chaplain for the Sox? I mean, there are godly people on these teams that have influence. The pastor of Bethany World Prayer Center in Baton Rouge was the chaplain for a Louisiana governor. And this is a radical man. He's a radical man. And he was the chaplain. He would go to the governor's office, hold Bible studies. Come on, how many want to have God favor you like that? But when you're there, do not compromise. Sin is still sin. Holiness is defined by this Bible. We stand by it. We're we're not Rick Warren. Amen? I only mention his name publicly because he was asked by by uh, President Obama to pray at the inauguration. And everybody said, what's he going to pray? And he prayed a decent prayer in Jesus' name, but he did not mention the sins of the land. Chronicles says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways, and, and, and pray to me, I will hear from heaven and heal their land. Anytime you, this is just for you if you ever get asked to pray at an inauguration. Anytime you're ever asked to pray by a state official, by a school, anything in a formal event, publicly repent of the sins of this nation. Repent of the sin. That's I, I mean, I don't. Somebody was like, "Well, at least he said Jesus." I don't care if he said Jesus. Jesus' name has no power without his message. There's Jesus, you know, Gonzalez down the road. There's Jesus, the prophet of Islam. No. If you're asked to pray at an inauguration, this is how you pray. Dear God in heaven, have mercy on our nation. We pray for the forgiveness of our sins, of the abortions of unborn children. We pray for mercy upon the compromise of sexual perversion in our nation. We pray against the violence and the sin of greed upon this nation. And that's why, that's why, by the way, our president has not allowed us to have the National Day of Prayer two years in a row. But listen to me, before we protest him, ask yourself this question, are you praying in your home? Because they took prayer out of schools, but we're not praying in our home. They say the average American, only 1%, 1% say a prayer in their house with their family every day. Only 1%. Jesus have mercy. That's one out of 100, by the way. Number eight, going to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Pursue the things of God. Timothy is given instructions about slavery. He's warned again about false doctrines. And then here it's summed up in verses 11 and 12. But you, man of God, flee from all of this. What is he telling him to flee from? The love of money. Flee from all of this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, 
love, endurance, gentleness. He reminds him again, fight the fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. This is pursue the things of God. Pursue the things of God. Be radical in your pursuit of the things of God. Pursue righteousness. After every meeting, I ask myself, did I do what's right? If I did anything wrong in that meeting, I call back, make apologies, make it right. Why? Because I always want to be right. You always want to be right. Yes, because I want to be righteous. Say that to somebody next time. No, I'm kidding. Normally, if they're saying it's an issue of pride. But how many just want to be right all the time? Literally, you want to be right. Does anybody want to be wrong all the time? Does anybody want to be wrong just maybe 10% of the time? You're okay with that? How many want to be right all the time? How many want to be righteous? Right in your living. Pursue it. Pursue godliness. Be like God. How is God? Look at the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Be like God. Faith. We've already talked about that. Love. We've talked about that. Endurance. Here he adds a new one from the other list. Endurance. Pursue it. Don't give up. Don't give up. I love that speech. The famous speech of Winston Churchill. I, I, you know, I've preached you know, probably maybe a thousand plus messages. I hope that I can get a zinger like that. Winston Churchill comes up and says, never quit, never, 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 never quit. And then he sits down. Dude, that is infamous. I'm not just saying it because like, oh, it's so cool. No, think about it. Here was the man who brought us through World War II, the war of all wars. I mean, just everything went wrong. I mean, we were bombed in Pearl Harbor, and his advice to these college students is never quit. Never. You will have situations in your life, just like I do, where you'll just be like, man, sometimes quitting is the easiest thing. There's been times where I've scared my wife at home after certain Sundays or Mondays, and I said, what would you do if I quit and said, let's start over again? She said, I think you're crazy. But, you know, I'll, I'll start listing off the things. I'll be like, this thing's crazy, this thing's crazy, these people are saying this, this is happening, this is that. Why don't I just take all of this, throw it right back at them and say, you pastor yourselves then. No, you never quit. You might be just a little weird to hear me say, I'm telling you, you'll feel that way. I hear that all the time. Every minister, every leader. Why do you think he calls, Paul calls it a fight again? Why do you think he puts in here endurance? You have to endure this. I was watching the, the Ultimate Fighter reality show, and these guys are fighting, you know, to be champions. Do you know how many times they get hit in the fight and they still win? I'm like, dear God, I'm watching them going, I thank you, Jesus, I am not that person. I mean, I don't even want to be the winner. I, I look at the, the winner's bloody, his nose is broken, blood. Yeah, his ears are all cauliflower ears. I am like, I am glad I am not you. I would rather have this little chubby wubby. I would rather have this than to look like you with cauliflower ears busted up. No, I'm the toughest dude. But you got beat senseless in that fight. You took a beating. The point is, you will 
take a beating in the fight. And you will want to get out of that fight. There will be times where you're just like, tap, I'm done. Let me up. I am done. And God will say, no, you have to fight on. You, have to, you will feel, listen to me, guys. I'm, we're, we're joking around here. But there will be times in your ministry, if guys, if you've ever been hit in the nose, you know what I'm talking about, there's no feeling like it is the worst feeling in the entire world to get hit, smacked in the nose. Women, if you've ever been accidentally hit there, it just makes your face numb. It, it waters your eyes. Just, I'm telling you guys, listen to me. There will be times in the ministry, you're working hard for Jesus. You're doing everything right. I mean, it's click, click, click. I mean, you're moving up. And it just will feel like the devil just cocked his arm all the way back to him. Boom, right in your nose. And it will, just, it will just hit you right flat on your back. And you'll say, man, I'm supposed to be a man of faith. I'm, this is not supposed to happen. And then you'll question yourself. And then you'll get these lies in your head like, you know, I, I still love God. I still love the ministry. But I'm just not called to it. You know, I just, I'm, not, I'm not good at this. You'll believe, I've talked to so many people that they say, I'm just not good at it. Listen to me, everybody gets smacked in the face. Everybody, everybody, there is no hidden secret. Even if you look at the people we admire the most, Bill Johnson or Heidi Baker, look at their lives, man. Don't just look at their, their, their little, you know, blurb, their little bio, like my little bio on the Romans class. Pastor Joe's been saved for 14 years, has a BA. Don't look at, look at their life. Do you know what I've had to go through just to get that? To go back to school to be in seven. While you guys are taking off, I'm now taking on more classes. I'm going to be taking four classes this summer, rocking and rolling. I mean, it's just like it never stops. And sometimes you'll be working so hard and then just bam, and it will hit you flat on your back. And then you have to decide, will I get up or will I stay down? You have got to get back up. I don't care if your eyes are water. I don't care if your nose is bleeding. I don't care if you're sad. I don't care if you yell at everybody on your team and call them all names. You have got to get back up and fight. Because all of that can be forgiven. I've always said, our leaders, we can go behind closed doors and have it out. Ishmael and I, whoever, we can go at it. We can call each other names. We can yell at each other like cats and dogs, brothers and sisters. We can just have it full on. But at the end of that meeting, we have got to come out as a team and fight for the things of God. We'll forgive. Hey, I'm sorry for saying I didn't mean Okay, but we have got to get out and fight now. You do not quit. You do not quit on your call. I just can't say that enough. Never quit. No, never, never, never quit. <laughs> There's the speech. I did it. Number nine, the last part of the chapter. Paul, who always knows how to end with the most important thing, just speaking as a father. He gives commands to, for Timothy to give to others, you know, um, Command those who are rich in this world to do good. Command those in this world not to put their, you know, trust and hope. But I basically tried to find ten, uh, nine. Well, I went through and looked for every command that Paul gave Timothy. And here's the last one. Look how he sums it up. Number nine, verses 20 and 21. Guard what God has given you. Guard what God has given you. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed 
and in so doing have wandered from the faith. Grace, God's favor be with you. My friends, guard what God has given you. Guard it. Take it. Put it somewhere safe in your heart and put a landmine around it. Build a moat. Put alligators in it. Do not let anyone come in and take that. I, Nancy can't take my calling for me. My children cannot take my call. My parents cannot take my calling from me. It is from God. I hate to say it this way, but it's true. I was here before you got here, and I will be here after you leave, if you leave. Are you listening to me? You have got to make a decision in your heart. I am guarding this. I am guarding this. This is between me and God. This is between me and God. It's not, it's not you know, just, oh, this is, this is my family, you know, Pastor. i got to put, no, when God gives you a calling, it comes before your family. You tell your family, pack up your bags, kids. We're moving out to the projects of Detroit. Pack up your bags, kids. We're going to live in Indonesia. You tell your family what comes first in their life. It is the call of God. Where he calls, we, where, what he calls, when he calls, we answer. Where he leads, we follow. When he calls, we answer. Where he leads, we follow. That's it. That is it, my friends. Guard what God has given to you. It is precious. I know we look at ourselves sometimes and we can be tempted to say, well, you know, S-U-M, it's not a Harvard. And, and you know, this ministry we do, it's, it's, you know, it's not really that big of a deal. My friends, it's the biggest deal. It is great. There is no comparison to it. You have to believe in what you do. You have to believe that this is it. There is no other way. There's there's no other way. Harvard's not an option. The Peace Corps is not an option. Becoming the President of the United States, it's not an option. You are called to serve God. Serve Him all the days of your life. Let your testimony be to your grandchildren. Grandma served God. Let your testimony be to this society. You serve God. I wrote a song. When I was in the projects, it was to my friends in Fort Wayne. I said, if you come looking for me, this is where you can find me. On the corner of Clark and Tulane, being with my kids. That's where you can find me. Some white boy from the suburbs of Indiana. Oh, whatever happened to Joe? I haven't seen him for for nine months. Where you can find me is smack dab in the middle of some project. Preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Fifteen years later, this is where you can find me. I'll tell to tell you the story that we've heard a hundred times, but it is so powerful. David Livingston, missionary to Africa, when he went there, served to the point of where his wife got sick and even died. He kept serving there. He prayed for Africa daily, cried out for the nation. He's one of the first missionaries ever. As a matter of fact, if you've ever heard the, the, the statement, Dr. Livingston, I presume, 
That is a statement that's been made world famous because of his journeys. During these times of the 1800s, the missionaries were like uh, adventurous. They were the MacGyvers of their day. And, and everybody learned about them through newspaper. And they, just, they were so interested in how these missionaries went out to be explorers. And, and he prayed for the nations and he asked God for more. And because of him, now Africa has been opened up as a mission field. You know the story. Those of you who don't, it's very, it's very simple. He's an old man. He's lost his wife to the mission field. He's still preaching. He's going from village to village. Eventually he's so weak he can't travel. They have to carry him on a cot. They bring him back to his his little hut. He says, put me on my knees. I have to pray for Africa. They say, but you're tired, David. Get rest. I will after I pray. Put me on my knees. They put him on his knees. An hour or so later, they come back to check on him. They don't hear anything from him. He has died on his knees praying for Africa. Come on. They then take his body. They say, we have got to bring him to England. We have, we have got to honor him. They're going to honor him in England as a hero. So they travel through the jungles with this body. They go all the way to the boat. And there they do what is crazy to us, but it was their tradition. They cut out his heart. And they say, England may have his body, but his heart belongs to Africa. And as they do with their warriors, they take the heart and put it under the place of their victory. They put it under the place of their family. They took his heart and put it under a tree in Africa and said, this is where his heart will always be, in Africa. Where is your heart? Where is your heart? Guard it. Put it in a place right now for God. And don't let anybody take it. Don't let anybody take it. It belongs to God. Your heart belongs to God. Where has he called you? What what has he put in your imagination to do? What do you dream about? What do you imagine about? What gets you excited? Let God take your heart and put it there. And never, never quit. Never get distracted. Guard that. And every day of your life, the grace, the mercy, the favor of God, the power of God will be with you. Amen. Let's all stand up together. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your calling upon our life. Just an attitude of prayer, I'm going to go through them. Fight against false doctrine. Fight the fight of faith. Live a life of prayer. Make leadership. Stay focused on the truth. Be radical in the days of your youth. Do not show favoritism. Pursue the things of God. And guard what God has given you. That's the message of Timothy. Father, we thank you for that message today. Every one of us today need to hear that again. Lord, we want to be faithful to the call like Timothy was, who even as an old man preached the gospel in public to the point where the drunken revelers of a pagan party martyred him because he went out and preached against their sin. God, he doesn't get a name 
our cities. He's not known like for his music like Beethoven. But God, he is mentioned in the annals of heaven. He'll never be forgotten. Lord, make us Timothys. We may not be rich in this world. We may not be as famous as Jay-Z and all of these entertainers, Michael Jordan, but God, we want to be great in your kingdom. We've made a decision, Lord, at an early age, at a young age, to give everything up for you. Lord, we know we could pursue the things of this world, but we've chosen to pursue you. Lord, this summer I pray that we'll remember the book of Timothy. That, God, we won't compromise. That, Lord, we won't get away from our calling. But, Lord, we'll be radical for you, Jesus. Dedicated. A person of prayer, Jesus. And, Lord, you will fulfill. We know you will complete this task you have given us. We know you will fulfill the purpose in it. Use us for your glory. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Can we bless the Lord together?